You can dance like on Ellen. That would be good. Um, not that, it's not that good for a podcast because nobody can watch it, but the theory is good that you can dance. In fact, we could say you're dancing and then people will just have to buy it from us. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin. I am your host. This is a pre-COVID-19 talk with a young man named Rob Berryman. He'll really appreciate that I call him a young man who comes out of construction safety. Actually, he's out of a uh, the insurance arm of construction safety, but he's an expert in construction safety. And I don't think I get enough construction safety on the podcast. And I don't know why, because I know a lot of people and I should talk to them about it because they know a lot about it. But I think sometimes I get all wrapped up in other crap, like, you know, exciting academic crap that I forget that, you know, there's still a big part of what we do. It's just what we do. The nuts and bolts of every day, the construction safety, get, you know, the, the, who's cleaning the handles on the wheelbarrow, those kind of questions. And that's actually where this talk took its origin. Now we're sitting in the world famous Portland airport. If you don't know that airport, so first of all, it's a pretty cool airport because there's tons of great places to eat, which you can't say about every airport. Let's just put that out there. Like if you want to know the good restaurants and airports, I'm the one to talk to. That is back when I traveled. Now in my new life where I don't travel, I'm loving this very much, but it's the only good thing that came out of this crap. Rob and I are sitting in the Portland airport having a conversation just about what he does about construction safety and, and the complex world in which you guys operate and live and how much pressure for production's on and the balance between risk and risk assessment and controls and essential control, all those things. And it was a great conversation. I've had it for a while. It just kind of got over overtaken by events, which is, I mean, I'm not apologizing. A lot of bad things happen. But this is a really interesting use of our time. I think you'll find this to be very effective. Uh, how are you doing? Okay. Because here it's, I don't know what to say anymore. I don't, I've, I've, I'm never usually at a loss for words, but I, words seem to escape me. I don't, I don't know where to go with information anymore. So that's where I am. You just, I just gave you a big old blatant shot of honesty. But I am glad you're listening, and I'm glad you're here. And tell your friends, and anything we can do to make the world a better place, we ought to do. That's probably worthwhile on our part at every level. So that's uh, as good of an introduction into this conversation. I think you'll find this conversation valuable and rewarding and refreshing. It's, it's from a simpler time for sure, but it's from a time when what we did matters, and it'll matter again. I promise you it will matter again. And that's really what Rob picks up on. So without much more fanfare, although I wouldn't, I would really beg to call this fanfare, without screwing around much more, let's listen in to Rob and I and the conversation we have. I think you'll like it a lot. He's a great guy. And it was a fun, fun conversation. So here we go. This is Rob Berryman on the Pre-Accident Podcast. Well, uh, first, it's a pleasure to join you. And uh so my name is Rob Berryman. I'm a safety consultant with American Contractors Insurance Group. We are, uh, we are the nation's largest construction-only insurance captive. 
And uh, so we started our journey of serious and injury fatality prevention probably about five years ago. And uh, so when we tell our story about our journey, um, one of the things that we talk about is how long it took to communicate that message. It probably took us a year to get the executive management of our members to fully understand and be vested in the idea. Um, why do you think so? I mean, wh why, why did it take so long? Um, well, I think we have a lot of natural things that work against us. Uh, one of them is the flavor of the day safety thing, yeah. right? And everybody's afraid of that. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've kind of learned in my, my career, and I was guilty of it as well, I think safety professionals look for the silver bullet. They're looking for the thing. And there is no the thing. Right. It's a synergistic effect of a lot of good ideas that come together, in my mind. So, um, so for us, once we got traction with serious injury and, and fatality prevention mentality, and it began to permeate to the field, our members began integrating it into everything that they do, their pre-planning. Um, we have some members who have been able to, and our ultimate goal is to push that to the estimating phase. So the people who are pricing the work are identifying the hazards before the bid even goes in. So what, is, what does it mean? What does a fatality and serious incident sensitivity look like? I mean, what's, what's that phase look like? What do you have them doing differently? Uh, so good question. So we're doing, we're doing a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of different things that it looks like now. So uh, integrating it into all of their um, processes. So the pre-task planning, you know, when they identify the tasks, they identify the SIF exposures within those tasks. They're delineated and called out separately so that they can be, we can spend more time. You know, the idea. Is that based on consequence? SIF exposure based on consequence? Um, well, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by consequence. What we, we focus on, potential. So the outcome is not relevant in our minds. What you want to focus on is the potential for that outcome. So, yes, consequence-based. What is the, the likely outcome of this exposure? You know, how, is, it, is it probable and realistic to occur? That's kind of how we define likely. And so we went through a process of defining it. We created, uh, with, with help some, with some outside professionals, created what we call our decision logic. So it helps set the ground rules for identifying what exposures are and aren't serious. And it allows us to focus our efforts on the things that kill people and, and alter their lives forever. But I would tell you that probably the single, we kind of figured this out, the single most impactful thing that has come from all of it is understanding the importance and value of near-miss reporting. And in, in construction historically, in the construction culture, you don't go to your boss and tell them you screwed up. It's just not how it works, okay? Um, and so climbing that cultural hill of being transparent and honest when it comes to, I didn't do my job right, so, so to speak, uh, is a big mountain to climb. But here's what we've come to. We've, we've come to, um, to understand, you know, through some outside data sets and some of our internal member data sets, that for every loss event, um, you know, loss injury event, we're seeing about nine near misses occur collectively. So our message to our members is, if you're only analyzing the bad things that actually happen, the things that create loss, you're missing 90% of your opportunity to learn and grow. And so I'm very, very proud that we've gone down this road as an, as an organization, um, that now we are collecting a specific set of data points 
from all of our members. It's now compulsory based on our executive committee's decision. So we are forcibly collecting from our insureds uh, all of their near-miss data. And so now our data set to, to look and predict in the future is significantly greater. So, so two things. One is, so I agree with you 100% that near-miss data, that 90 to 1, or that 9 to 1, that 90%, that's really interesting. That's super interesting. I would encourage you guys to think not around probable consequence, but when you look at near-miss data, ask good or lucky, mm-hmm. and then what you're identifying really is the, the absence of capacity. So I would tell you that events don't happen because the work is risky. Events happen because the capacity to fail is low. And yeah. so one of the things that would be really interesting, and you have this, this, this data set, this captive data set, yeah. One of the things you could look at is where are we doing high-risk operations where we have high recoverability? Because my guess is is that you're not going to find very many fatalities there because when the system fails, it fails safely. Where are we doing high-risk work or routine work where we have low capacity, where the only capacity we have is the worker does it right or the worker's careful, he sees me, I see him. That, that, that ability to assess based on safeguards, which that's exactly, I would suggest, what you're getting out of the near-miss data is what you're really looking for is not the near-miss identifying the consequence, but the near-miss identifying the absence of control. You know, and that's an excellent point. Um, so I, I better understand what you mean by is it consequence-based. So the consequence defines that that exposure is worthy of, of learning from. But, but that's not what we're looking at. We're not just looking for consequence. You're absolutely right in that. Now we're assessing that to identify. I'll give you a great example. Um, one of the biggest challenges in our membership over the last five te- years from a fatality perspective is struck by mobile equipment, yeah. primarily um, subcontracted dump trucks backing or pulling over our workers. That's, that's the clearly the highest source of fatality so that we've experienced high consequence low low capacity so you there's no safeguards you don't have like run over protection harnesses to wear or whatever right. so that makes or sense yeah, i'm with you yeah I'm with and you. and to your point not only is it is it that but it's um it is about as routine as it gets yeah. right it doesn't get more routine than loading a truck and that truck moving somewhere or that truck backing to put asphalt in a paver that is as routine as it gets, especially for the workers that do it every day. Yeah. When you and I go out there, you know, we're, we're keenly aware because we're not used to things backing and driving around us in our offices all day. Right. But those guys do it all the time. Hundreds of times a week. Yeah, totally. Hundreds. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a great example. Exactly. So what are you doing with that? I mean, because that's, I think you've struck on, I'm really super excited, but I think you've struck on the very thing that kills people which is routine work with very little capacity to fail. Yes. What are you doing with that data? So what do you, what do you have in the, the captive do with that data? Because that's where it gets interesting. So what, what's really interesting is that we didn't plan this ahead of time. We're just kind of, you know, we're, going to the we're freestyling. Yeah, we're going to the airport. Yeah. We're, well, actually, we're at the airport. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so one of the things that we try to do is we try to hold what we call our high-impact workshops. So um, we bring in industry experts in that specific exposure, and we try to develop a, a usually a day and a half workshop that involves information, hands-on experiences, and typically problem-solving involved in that. We, we want safety people, but we don't want to preach to the choir, so we require that they send 
operations people, superintendents, right, foremen, who are going to be the ones who actually implement that idea and teach their own people. Uh, and we do that for the various exposures. In, uh, in May, we're actually holding our first high-impact struck by mobile equipment workshop, uh, where we're, we've got um, DOT expert, a trucking expert, that's going to talk about you know, the, the complexities and issues with backing vehicles, um, how to more effectively develop what we call internal traffic control programs. So not the traffic control that the public drives through your project, but the traffic inside your project. Um, and then uh, we're really going to venture to look at technology as well. So we have some some emerging technology vendors. Like never hits or those kind of never hit or whatever. Is that what they're called, never hits? The things where you wear and the fork truck driver can tell okay. they're close to a person. So they're, they're, I'm going to burn some bridges probably yeah, with this. Fun. I burn them okay. all the time. Okay. So those things, you know what the problem with, with that is, is that there, the human error is in play because I forgot my vest or I forgot to put my button in there or, you know, I, I borrowed someone else's hard hat and it doesn't have the, the RFID tag in it. And by the way, the general public doesn't have RFID tags right. sewn into their clothes right. every the day. The dump truck that comes from the street doesn't have it, yeah. Right. And you may not have the sensor. Yeah. So I think, and the, the downside is, is that the technology is probably fur, farther away uh, than we would like it to be. But if sit in a Tesla and look at that, that big iPad on the Tesla, and it's telling you that's a car, that's a dog, that's a bicycle, okay? If we can integrate that technology into our heavy machinery and our dump trucks and things that are going to interact, okay? Um, and it can tell that machine, you've got a person behind you, you need to stop. Versus you've got a manhole behind you because we already, the manhole needs to be there. That's the biggest issue is that... But you see what you're doing, right? I mean, you're changing the way we've done traditional hazard assessment. So you're almost, Shane Bush calls it a resilience scale. But you're almost actually managing fatalities based upon a resilience scale. You can determine what kills people, and then what you're determining is how resilient it is. So if it's high consequence of failure with low resilience, that's the workshop topic. That's, that's where you right. bring in the experts from DOT. You actually talk to people who drive. You want drive. That, that class, that workshop you're doing, you definitely want people who drive. I mean, yeah. you want dump truck drivers because those are the people that can best tell you where the problems are how to handle what's not the problem and then how to handle the potential safeguards because it's really an absence of control that should scare people with vehicles so yes. I, I love what you're doing how's it going well um so our, our last we, we for two years we did fall protection high impact workshops and it had a lot to do with some misunderstandings about the ANSI standard right. what leading edge fall protection really meant right. uh and that is the great in my mind that is the greatest failure of a safety professional is to tell someone if you do this you are protected and that worker thinks they're safe and they're doing everything right and they still die that's tragic to me yeah no you're right you're absolutely right and so uh, we've spent a lot of effort in teaching our members um, you know about that phenomena and how how they can better protect their workers uh, so how are your members liking these high-risk workshops I mean what's the feedback you're getting uh, well, the feedback is really, really good because, you know, we wanted to do the struck by workshop last year, but uh, our executive management, which is made up of the CEOs right. of our insureds, yeah, they say, you know what, this, the feedback was so great, we want to do this again, and it's important. Um, as you know, falls kill more construction workers right. than any other thing, right. um, you know, specifically, and so um, the feedback has been great because, as we know, you know, 
reading's one thing, seeing's another, but physically doing and and genuinely um, helping people understand because there's a difference between knowledge and understanding. I you know I can know what. I know what I, I know the equation E equals MC squared, but it doesn't mean I understand right. what it means. That's a good example. Correct? Are, the, are your members moving? Are you seeing movement? Are you seeing changes in the way they do business because of these? Um, you know, it's like any other, I would say it's like any other um, community. There are some who move faster than others, okay? And, uh, and you know, the way we're set up, we have three different business segments. We have our heavy industrial contractors who do... Um, refineries and power plants and that heavy stuff. And then we have general builders who build high-rises and schools and hospitals. And then we have our heavy civil contractors who mine and, and build highways and bridges. And so across those, you know, you get different traction with different things. So it's like anything else. But the beauty of our system is there's so much inherent accountability in our systems that, that peer pressure that happens in the room gets everybody on board so so how different is this from the way you were doing this same idea five years ago what are you seeing changing in the way we look at fatalities and serious incident prevention well i'll go i'll go right to the basis of that you know when i started uh my insurance career in 1998 one of the first things they taught me in the insurance business was frequency breed severity if we can just stop the little stuff it the big stuff takes care of itself and you know, this is one of my failures as a safety guy. I bought that and I, and I sold it for 15, you know, probably plus years. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily true. So, you know, now that the traction we're getting now is helping people understand that the precursors to a minor event are not necessarily the same precursors to a serious event. They can be, but they're not necessarily the same things. And we need to be diligent about identifying what those things that get us there are. So what's next for you guys? What are you looking down the road? Where do you see all this going? Uh, well, it's funny because I just used the phrase precursor. Right. And um, th- that's really what everybody wants. They want us to give, us, give them that list of things to look for. So one of our members, Hoffman, um, over the last 15 years, they're one of the members who, uh, the last data set I saw was 97% of their SIF events are near miss. Over the last 15 years, 97% were near-miss-based. Only 3% actually resulted in loss. And so, you know, what, what they're doing is they looked at those precursors and they said, they said, okay, what are the five commonalities here? And they are uh, change of personnel. I got a new guy on my job or the foreman's not here today, et cetera. Some form of change of personnel, some form of plan. We struck out this morning to do X and now we're doing Y. I don't have the right tool. Uh, I, for whatever reason, I'm rushing. I'm, I've, you know, we've had rain days or I'm behind schedule or whatever the case may be. And then the last being breakdown of communication. You said go left. I thought you meant your left, but you meant my left. And so those five things and what they preach is they say, okay, to all their workers, if you see these things present, you've got somebody new on your crew or today somebody doesn't show up and you got a new guy today or We've got a tool that's not the right tool, or whatever the case may be. Those are red flags, and they call them the red flags flying. And what that means is I'm, I'm at higher risk in this event to have a serious issue. And so I think that's the first step. And I think as we go, if we can mine that data more and understand what those things are. And when they know they're higher risk, what's that mean for them? 
Uh, well, one, they call a timeout and make sure they've got it right. Okay. So if the plan isn't, you know, if we're doing something different, wait a second. We've got to re, I know we just did our pre-test plan and it took us 20 minutes, but you know what? We're not doing that now. So now we've got to start that process over and have the integrity and courage to take another 20 minutes out of the day and do it again. So, so increased capacity. So, so red flag work means more controls. And well, in your words, red flags mean less capacity. And so we got to call a timeout and create more capacity. So what'd you think? That's Rob Berryman. Thank you, Rob. That was great. Um, it's funny to me. I don't know if funny is the right word. I don't know. If, uh, yeah, that's probably not the right word. It's interesting to me and kind of funny that the word capacity a couple months ago, people would ask me to define all the time. And now post, during whatever, wherever we are, COVID-19, the, the pandemic, capacity seems to make so much more sense at such a different level now. And so when you, when you talk about fatality prevention in that side of the house, the interesting thing about it is, is, is we know because we've learned a really, really hard lesson, uh, a business sustainability lesson, a fatality numbers lesson. We've, we've learned a, a, the pandemic taught us things. There are things to learn. And one of the things we learned is that the, the presence of capacity is expensive, but the absence of capacity is even more expensive. And so now you realize when you look at fatalities and you look at the, what did Rob call it? The synchronization of many values, of many techniques, of many ideas, of many processes and programs. You start to realize that what that does actually is creates an environment that allows capacity for this kind of high risk work to have uncertainty, to fail. And then what we measure is not the presence of risk because it's not about the risk. It's about the control. We measure the presence of control, the presence of capacity. And it's just, it's one of the lessons I think that the world learned out of the pandemic. It's certainly one of the most important lessons around resilience that was illustrated by just by, by the ability to change, by the ability to move, to, to agilely respond post consequence to the ability to recover, extensibility is what Dave Woods would call it. That I think is um, is a remarkably interesting outcome for all we've been through. And and I told you this this podcast was recorded before COVID nineteen, not very long before, but but before COVID. And so this podcast has there's a sense of almost naivete um, that around this notion of managing capacity that we now have a much different operational understanding and operational maturity around. And I think that is worth noting. And it's certainly something I think about a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And perhaps you do as well. And that's good. I think it's really good. So that is pretty much the conversation for today. I owe you a couple minutes because we're going to go short, but nobody ever got bad evaluations by ending class early. That's uh, just a really that I remember that all the time. And one time I was writing, I was writing with a guy named Bill McGrath, who was a senior VP for Coca-Cola. And we're driving through New York city and we're in a cab to go to a meeting and the cab driver gets behind the bus and Bill McGrath grew up in New York city. He was a, a important captain of industry guy. 
And he said something I'll never forget. He said, no cab driver on earth ever made money following a bus. Those are the two things I remember. <laughs> so that is the podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. I'm glad you're a part of it. It's, it's an important thing we're doing. Not this. This isn't important. The work you do is really important. Have as much fun. Learn something new every single day, first of all. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. And for goodness sakes, be safe.